What's going on, guys? It's Mike Cerrone from the DC Crossover Podcast. Ben and I have been producing audio content since our teenage years. But now, don't we wish we had the tools you guys have to create and distribute your own content? Let me quickly tell you about our new sponsor, Anchor. Now, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's definitely something I love using. One reason, because it's free, people, F-R-E-E. As most of you may know, free is one of my favorite words, so don't get that mixed up. So no charge to start up with Anchor. Now let's talk about how easy it is to use. With Anchor, there are creation tools that allow you guys to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Super simple and super accessible from anywhere. Now that you recorded, how do you distribute to the streaming apps? Anchor does it for you, folks. Whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or more, they got you. Using Anchor, you can actually make money from your podcast. Straight hard cash, homie. Whether you have a handful of friends, family, or group that wants to hear your content, there is no minimum listenership. It's everything you would ever need to make a podcast in one simple place. Want to get started? Here's what you guys need to do. Download the free Anchor app on your phone or go to anchor.fm to get your podcast started today. Now back to our nation's capital with Sarone and Simpson. Hello and welcome, DC Crossover fans. This is Mike Cerrone with Mr. Ben Simpson. This is our special edition, Washington Nationals Pitchers and Catchers edition right here on the DC Crossover. Thank you all for listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Google Play Music, or even listening on the DCCrossover.com. Definitely a lot of news with the Nats have come over the airwaves over the last week or so. Bryce Harper has signed with the, uh, I don't even know, the Nemesis Phillies. I don't know what you want to call them. There's a lot of names you can call them but we'll just call them the nemesis right now and uh that's going to be something that we'll briefly get into possibly get over get into it if we have another guest possibly coming on next week but definitely this week our player preview is the pitchers and the catchers of the washington nationals the count on two now the kick here it comes swing and a miss swing and a miss he struck him out with a slider he has tied the major league record for strikeouts in a game with 20 Kerry Wood, Roger Clemens, and now Max Scherzer. With a chance of let's go Strasburg, let's go Strasburg before the pitch. No balls, two strikes. The line, the kick, and the pitch. Swing and miss! 14 strikeouts! Seven in a row! Unbelievable! Jan Gomes will be the batter. Powers pay off pitch. Gomes with a high fly ball. There we have it. Steven Strasburg's debut, obviously, not a lot of highlights. Uh, I mean, he's kind of up and down. (laughs) Still one of the premier guys to look out for, though, in the majors. But definitely one guy you have to look out for is the three-time Cy Young winner, Max Scherzer, and also one of our newly additioned men on this team, Jan Gomes, who used to be 
playing for the Indians. That was a highlight for the Indians because obviously he hasn't played for the Nats yet. Yeah, we'll get some <laughs> highlights there going in, in uh, this season. But like Mike said at the top of the show, we wanted to give Nats fans kind of a separate episode because uh, we want to dedicate some time to these different positions and things like that. And we don't want to take up, you know, an hour of our normal podcast uh, just specifically with Nats. Otherwise, we'd be putting together a two-hour show. So we want to designate some time here today, not too long, half hour or so, to these different position uh, sure. uh, segments. And we're going to start with today's episode, pitchers and catchers. This As we lead up to spring training exactly. the opening day. Yeah, four, four, we're under four weeks total yeah. uh, from uh, the start of the regular season. So we're going to get into starters, relievers, and closers, as well as the catcher's position. So let's, all, let's both start here with the – these are the projected uh, 2019 – Pitching rotation for the Washington Nationals per Roto Champ. So they go Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, Anibal Sanchez, and then you kind of have a three horse race for that fifth spot. You've got Joe Ross, Jeremy Hellickson, and Eric Fetty all competing uh, for the fifth spot. So with some of these guys, Mike, we kind of know what we're going to get. So we yep. know that Max Scherzer, you know, as staying healthy and things like that, hopefully, is the type of guy that will give you, you know, 15, 16, 17 wins, a sub-3 ERA, possibly contend for another Cy Young. We know what we're getting with our number one guy. Yeah. It's where this, you know, the rest of this rotation, like you mentioned, has been bolstered. I mean, Patrick Corbin, that's a huge signing there. Steven Strasburg, what are you going to get out of him? Annabelle Sanchez, you know, he's kind of a veteran. He had a pretty good season last year pitching for the Braves and bouncing around. Um, Now he's going to be the number four starter, almost like the Tanner uh, Roark replacement, and then your number fifth seed. So let's start. Let's kind of go down the list here. So starting with Max Scherzer, you know, in in my mind, one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher in Major League Baseball, you got to love having this guy be your number one. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you obviously see with the whole entire situation with uh, Clayton Kershaw, He's one of the guys that he would that would fight with Max Scherzer as being mm-hmm. not only the NL Cy Young, but one of the best pitchers, as you mentioned, in baseball, mainly for the sole fact that he's getting hurt so much lately that that's why I would put Max Scherzer above of, of Clayton Kershaw. You also have to look at uh, someone over in the uh, American League with Chris Sale yep. and different guys like that that would be uh, you know competing with him. But Max Scherzer's pure, uh, like, he's not like a Chris Sale who's tall and lanky uh, or a David Price kind of like that, uh, of that nature, or a Clayton Kershaw. They're all tall and lanky guys. Yeah. Max Scherzer is kind of a short, compact, not short, but he's a medium-sized, average-sized, compact guy that just has s- such great mechanics mm-hmm. to the point where year in and year out, you know what you're going to get. Uh, the, the Tigers, they have to be looking at this situation and saying, what do we do? Like, well, we, yeah. we got rid of Max Scherzer. I know, I know it's kind of a salty thing for you, but, like, legit, they, they, they saw Max Scherzer and, and said, Mike Rizzo did, and said, we got to get this guy, and look what he's done over the past few years for you. Definitely in the Cy Young candidacy every single year. Um, he's a three-time Cy Young winner, obviously, but legit, like you said, you can't have a bona fide number one guy like a Max Scherzer on your team. You can't, I mean, you, you, you cannot have a guy like that and, and, and be disappointed because you know Every fifth day, that guy, uh, no matter if he has a day off or whatever it may be, he's going to go out there and compete. You see him out there grunting all the time, doing le- doing this, doing that. I mean, he got in that preview that we just had. He had 20 strikeouts in a game. It was one of, what, five guys, one of four guys, something like that. I mean, he's, he's a monster. And that, that's all you can say about him. And then, you know, moving on to Patrick Corbin. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about him, you know, when the trade was made and things, or not the trade, but when the free agent signing was made. Yeah. And, and this guy was one of the most premium arms available on the market in the no free doubt. agency 
Kelsey. Lefty arm last year going 11 and 7, 3.15 ERA, uh, 1.05 whip, 246 strikeouts versus 48 walks. So this is a guy uh, where, uh, and also a 15.6% swinging strike rate, um, which is really good if, 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 if you dig into those stats. So um, for the most part, this is a guy that now gives the Nats, because what the Nats have been missing, Mike, uh, for past recent years is, you know, you had Gio who had a couple pretty good seasons for the Nats, but then he was kind of more of like a, yeah. all right, this is going to be a guy that maybe will give us a good start, but for the most part, all we've got is Scherzer and Strasburg. Now the Nats have a bona fide third arm in that uh, kind of a big three in that pitching rotation. And the best part is the fact that he's a lefty. So it yeah. now gives them a different look. A six slider. I, I mean, if we're thinking all the way ahead to playoffs and things like that, I mean, you have that possible rotation of Scherzer, Corbin, Strasburg, and that might be all you need. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> and, I mean, that's just ridiculous. So, you know, Corbin, all the projections right now have him getting, you know, about 13, 14 wins this season. Uh, ERA, these are all projections being somewhere in like the mid, you know, three and a half or under um, and, and hopefully getting over 200 strikeouts again, yeah. like he coming off of a really good last uh, season for um, Arizona. So overall, really happy with this this type the potential of this guy um and just i feel like he'll fit right into this rotation and just be one of those other guys that you know you want to if you go to the ballpark and watch a game you really kind of want to see uh you know some of these best players playing and and patrick corbin is a great starter yeah and then i i mentioned to you before we came on air that he is the geo replacement and a little bit younger version of the geo replacement (laughs) um but you look at it their, their stats are almost unparalleled in this, in this situation. 33 games for Corbin, 32 for Gio. This is comparing from last year. I, I even said it to you. It's kind of funny that even with one less start, Corbin still has 29 more innings pitched, which means more longevity, uh, can get out of jams, different stuff like that. With a great team, even though they had a bad year last year, Gio Gonzalez had a pretty rough year, to, to say the least. 10 wins, only, or t- only 10 wins, 11 losses. And with a terrible team like the D-backs, who only have one guy in Paul Goldschmidt, basically they had, he had 11 wins and 7 losses Corbin did. And I mean, 11 wins at a terrible team is pretty good and only 7 losses. So, you know, you, you look at Max Scherzer, he goes out there and, you know, basically it gives you an A performance almost every single time. And he still has like, you know, 10 losses every yeah. now and then, stuff like that. And that's because, you know, if, if they have a bad hitting night or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Still, 7 losses for Corbin at his 33 starts it's pretty damn good hits allowed he you know played one more game and a lot more innings and still allowed uh, six less hits than Geo did earned runs lower than Geo's home runs allowed two run, two, two home runs less than Geo uh, over uh, almost 198 to be exact strikeouts more less walks ERA at 3.1 you, you, you can't get a better quote unquote number three possibly number two because he's a lefty in the rotation like Patrick Corbin like it's you said loaded. one of the premier market arms on the market right there, and that's well, I mean, Mike Rizzo, you can't, yeah. you can't ask for more than that. Hey, you got Patrick Corbin, you, you, you basically threw Geo to the Wolves because he's a free agent still, and you have Tanner Roark, and he, he's gone, and he basically didn't do too much, and like you said, Anibal Sanchez uh, in, in the preview right there, he, he's, he's not, not great because uh, he's getting old, but he was always a Nats killer, and if he can go out there and give you a 3-5 ERA in the fourth spot, I'll take that. But overall, like you said, Patrick Corbin, one of the premier market arms out there, and we got him. So Steven Strasburg is one of those guys, we've re- we wrote about it on, on the site as well, is he's one of those guys that a lot of people are not expecting much out of him for this season because yeah. of the injury mark uh, 2018. You know, he, So he... 
2017, Steven Strasburg put together a, a, almost a, a Cy Young caliber type year. Yeah. He went 15 and four, had a 2.52 ERA, struck out over 200, had a, just a, a, an incredible 2017. And people forget the year before that, he also went 15 and four. ERA wasn't as good, 3.6. Year before that, 3.46. I mean, he has put together a couple pretty strong seasons, and then last year just. Things just didn't go right. I mean, yeah. ten and seven for anybody on the Nats. Ten and seven record, three point seven four ERA, one hundred fifty six Ks. Um, you know, uh, the batting average for balls in play just went way up. So teams were just starting to, to shell him a little bit. But for the most part, Mike, I gotta think that Steven Strasburg will bounce back this year and put together a pretty strong campaign. Is he going to necessarily pitch all season? We talked about it the last episode. Over unders for you know games pitched and things like that for him. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to get to 175 innings like he did in 2017, but I do think that he could put together, you know, a, a 14 and, you know, six type season or 14 and five. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. The projections have him at right around a 12 and eight um, or 12 and nine season ERA somewhere in the mid threes and, and the strikeouts under 200 Ks is kind of what the different and, and innings wise. It varies. Some people have him at 160 innings. Some people have him at 177. It varies there. But for the most part, I think Strasburg is going to beat the numbers this season and put together a strong campaign. Yeah, overall, I mean, Steven Strasburg, I've been enamored, enamored with him for years now. And it's just, I was at that debut uh, when he played the Pirates and got those 14 strikeouts and all that all that jazz. But uh, honestly, I just love watching him pitch. Like, he, he's kind of like a Bryce Harper to me where if he pitches, I want to go watch him because, I mean... Max Scherzer, think about this. Okay, I'm going to keep going to Max Scherzer because he's like the perennial, you know, guy that's out there on the mound sure. all the time. You look at him, it's like there's nothing flashy. You know, he just has really good pitches, very, uh, very high velocity fastball, nice mm-hmm. curveball, kind of, all that kind of stuff with the breaking stuff. But you look at Steven Strasburg, no one sees you know, a guy buckle people more than Steven Strasburg. Yeah. I mean, he's throwing a curveball that's flying at your face, and all of a sudden it's right down the middle at your knees. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's crazy to see that. So I'm so enamored with watching him. It's just kind of like a drug to me. But as you mentioned, 15-4 and four and 17-16. and 16. Obviously, the ERA in 16 wasn't that great. But last year, uh, in, or the year before last year in 17, 252. Okay, one complete game, one shutout. And, I mean, you, you, this is what you're going to get. This is, this is kind of like a Josh Doxon situation for the Redskins. In this instance, this is what you're going to get. You're not going to get a guy that's going to go over 200 innings all the time, kind of like a, a Scherzer or, or whoever it may be. You're going to get a guy that's going to go out there and probably pitch uh, somewhere, uh, and at least a good season, somewhere from 150 to 175 uh, innings pitched. And that's that's not bad. I mean, that's not bad at all because no. you look at it, 15-4, and four, yes, obviously the 3.6, we, we can surpass that, but 175 in that 15-4 and four season with 2.52 ERA, not bad at all. Very, very, very high production for the ERA, but uh, like you said, the whip, uh, it's been pretty pretty darn good for the most part. And, and the average against him isn't that great. I mean, 240, 28. I mean, in those two fifteen and 4 seasons, 218 and 204, that's terrible average for uh, against him. So, you know, overall, I, I'm going to go with Steven Strasburg, hopefully having a bounce back year because yeah. that's kind of a trend right now if you look at it with the 16, having the 15 and 4, but still a high ERA. Good season 17, up and down season in 18. That's one thing you got to look at for the 2018 season is that the Nats were just not that great last year. So the morale's there, mm-hmm. uh, first time manager. I mean, it's it's kind of weird because Strasburg has been there, and there's been like three or four managers in that seat 
basically yeah. since he got drafted, which it's, is crazy to see when they've been in the playoffs four times. No continuity. You know, it's just it's just crazy. <laughs> so hopefully David Martinez can switch or flip it around this season, and uh, that also can help Strasburg out. If Strasburg goes into being, uh, you know, not quote unquote has to be the number one A guy, he can possibly be you know in there in the third slot and not have a little bit of pressure taken off of him, and possibly uh, have a little bit less risk of injury. Now we're going one one by one here with the starters. Obviously, when we get to the bullpen, we'll we're not going to go one by one. There's so yeah. many names there, but the uh, the last guy really in the uh, because the fifth spot is still undecided, but the fourth spot, Anibal Sanchez, another signing for the Washington yeah. Nationals, where you kind of looked at it as okay, this is a, a Tanner Roark replacement type guy, um, especially coming off a very good 2018 campaign. Oh, yeah. Sanchez went seven and six. Don't care as much about the record, but the ERA 2.83 ERA struck out 135, walked 42, and opponents only hit 255 against him uh, for balls in play. So, uh, you know, Sanchez is one of those guys whose career has kind of bounced up and down. He was with the Tigers for a while. His best season was actually back in 2010, uh, or excuse me, not 2010. His best season was in 2013, where he went 14-8 and eight with a 2.57 ERA and struck out over 200. Marlins, Since right? then, yeah, yeah, he's bounced around. But yeah, for the Marlins that year. And so he's one of those guys that he's been trying to get back to that point. Didn't put together a good 2017. Wasn't that great in 2016. But a lot of it for him, I feel like, has been the places. I mean, he's 35. That, that, yeah, <laughs> he's 35 at this point. He's had a long career. But this is one of those gambles that the Nats are hoping you know, are you going to get a, a, a 2.83 ERA out of the Anibal Sanchez this year? Probably not. But can you get a maybe a mid-threes ERA? Um, even if you're in the high threes, I think you'll take that with maybe a 500-type record, an 8-8 eight and eight or a 10-8 and eight or something along those lines. The projections currently have them at somewhere around that 8-8 eight and eight mark. The ERA, the projections have them at pretty high. Uh, um, it varies from which projection you're using, but yeah. some of them have them in the high fours. Some of them have them in the low fours. And then things like strikeouts and things like that, it, it varies there. But I'd say if we can get a... Like I said, like a, a ten and eight or ten and ten type season out of Anibal Sanchez, and have him pitch, you know, let's say four fifteen ERA or three ninety five ERA or something in that range. Wow, you're going. That I think high, huh? I think I'd be happy with that. Um, if if we can possibly get, if it can go lower than that, hell, I'll take yeah. it obviously. But if you can get at least around a four and about a five hundred record, he's cheaper than what they would had to pay uh, Tanner Roark, I believe. Um, not so, a lot, but still. But still, uh, I, I think it's just not a bad option. It's a different look for teams that are so used to. Seeing Tanner Roark, Roark pitch for the Nats. Now you have Anibal Sanchez there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I think there's some good potential uh, for him at not that much of a price tag. But even even when when you said with balls in play, his batting average against his batting average batting average against overall is 2.13 last year. Yeah. So that's pretty damn good. Uh, ERA, like you said, 2.83. The most useless stat in baseball: wins and losses as a pitcher. Yeah. Which agreed. Is, which is agreed. Ridiculous. On that. Yeah. Because um, if a guy pitches 2.83 ERA, you know, typically you'd see his record be 15 and, and 7 you know it's something some of that nature if you're going to go I mean a legit statistic like that but uh, overall I'm hoping you said uh, you know a four fifteen or a three nine five. I I even told you I said if I can get a three fifty out of yeah. it, uh, you know that's kind of my, be great. That's kind of my bar, um, you know, because if he's at the four, that's that's not bad. But uh, you know, with like you said, the back end of that rotation uh, still up in the air. You don't know what Joe Ross and, and his whole entire situation with uh, the Tommy Johns and all that kind of stuff. What his recovery process is. Eric Fetty's always kind of up in the air. Uh, so really, when you're looking at this, this situation with Anibal. Sanders, 
Sanchez, if you can go out there as a fourth starter and, you know, like you said, a 10 and 10 season, I'll take that all day. Uh, you know, for, I mean, Tanner Roark, yes, he was kind of the anomaly, but if you add him with uh, Gio Gonzalez, they kind of, you know, equaled each other out where it was kind of like a, you, had a, you had a twofer basically right there, where now you have Anibal Sanchez who can kind of possibly equal out Tanner Roark ish, and then you have an upgrade in Patrick Corbin over Gio Gonzalez. So overall, the top four starters in this rotation from last year to this year, I think is a marginable upgrade yeah. because of the sole fact that you look at, say, possibly the war. Now, I'm just going to, you know, the wins above replacement. I'm going to lump this entire four top four rotation against last year's top four rotation. And I'm going to go with this is going to add possibly another five wins at least. Yeah. Um, you know, just because of those uh, new, two new starters. So, And I've seen that number thrown out there. I believe I saw a number somewhere around like five or six oh, really? wins is, is what they have projected for, for the war for this for this pitching rotation versus last year's rotation. So wow. you're pretty on point with huh. that, actually. I, 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 <laughs> I didn't know you were a nerd, Mike, but I, I <laughs> guess you have it there. Yeah. The real question comes down now to, you know, as we said, I'm excited about the first four uh, in that rotation. The fifth spot is the real unknown. There's three names that are being thrown around there yep. to possibly take that spot. It's Joe Ross, it's Jeremy Hellickson, and it's Eric Fetty. Now, Joe Ross, obviously, like you mentioned, coming off Tommy John, this is kind of one of those younger arms that had uh, a, a pretty nice 2016 campaign yeah. where he went 7-5 and five with a, a 3.43 ERA in 105 innings. This was one of those guys where it's kind of like, oh, you know, maybe this guy has some, some neat potential for us. And then, you know, obviously, he sidelined with the injury didn't get to pitch much in 2017, uh, didn't get to pitch much in 2018. So there's a lot of unknowns about a guy who's coming off an injury like that. And then you have, uh, you know, Eric Fetty, who's another one of those, you know, young arms. He's, he, he's only pitched in 14 games total so far in his Nats career. He threw 50 innings last year, went two and four, five and a half ERA, did not pitch great. Did not pitch great in 2017 in his his debut either. So, you know, he's a guy that you're supposed to have some potential. And then Hellickson made the club this year because of the way he was actually able to pitch last year. The Nats had picked him up as kind of just a, hey, we need another arm in this yeah. rotation. We have too many injuries. As I mentioned, three, five and three, 3.45 a year, he, he got the job done. So... You know, I, I got to think right now the Nats are probably leaning towards Joe Ross for that fifth spot um, just because I think his ceiling is much higher than these other sure. two. Uh, with Jeremy Hellickson being more of a Band-Aid and Eric Fetty still being more of a, hey, we don't even know what we're going to get out of this guy. Um, I, I think Joe Ross's potential is higher. Uh, but it's just weird to not really have that fifth spot solidified yeah. between these three guys, Mike. It's kind of weird, um, you know, just to not really know who's going to be pitching every fifth game uh, for the Nats because you don't. No. Again, Joe Ross is projected to be the fifth starter, but the Nats might do it by committee. It might be just a rotation of those three. Man, I would really love for one guy to just take the reins out of camp and keep that spot. Yeah, in my opinion, coming out of camp, my opinion would be uh, how they should start it in the beginning of the year would be Hellickson, Ross, and then Fetty. I think Fetty is low on the totem pole. I, I Sure. I, I, I kind of feel like he's kind of like that uh, A.J. Cole type for me. He might have a little bit up, more upside than A.J. Cole, but I think they both are just like, eh, kind of kind of like mediocre at best. Um, but really, when you're looking at this, this situation between Hellickson and Ross, I think you keep Ross out, maybe have him you know, start maybe a spot start or something like that coming in, but or at least see how Hellickson does in the beginning because, like like you mentioned last year, 19 games started with the Nats, five and three. Um, you know, his ERA was 3.45. Are you going to take a 3.45 for the fifth start, uh, fifth starter? Yes, I would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, because oh yeah, a 3.45 starter. I mean, Steven Strasburg, he's had a couple of down years as we mentioned earlier, and you know, a 3.45 is is a is a bad year for Strasburg, but for a fifth starter like a Hellickson right now, I'll take that all day. 
So really, when you're looking at the situation, I would start Hellickson, uh, see how he does, and say the first, give him maybe five starts, and see what his averaging, uh, what he's averaging, and stuff like that. And maybe even have Joe Ross uh, uh, pitch maybe, like I said, a spot start here and there, and just kind of work him in. And then hopefully by uh, maybe a, a couple months into the season, maybe have him switch with Hellickson, depending on how Hellickson's doing. Yeah. And see how, see maybe see how that could work out. Because, I mean, obviously, you never know with uh, injury to Strasburg, injury to Corbin, whatever it may be. God forbid that stuff For happens. Sure. You can have, you know, the guys slide up. Say Strasburg gets hurt like he has been for a while. Anibal Sanchez goes to the third spot. Hellickson fourth and Ross the fifth or so on and so forth. Whatever it may You be. have options, which is it's, nice. It's, it's, there could be a lot worse problems here. There, yeah, there, there definitely could be. <laughs> We're talking about the fifth starter here. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> You know, for the most part, though, you you would like to have somebody um, in that spot that really yeah. can kind of take the reins, like you said. Moving on to the bullpen, and we'll run through these guys a little quicker. But yeah. um, so the way the bullpen's kind of shaping out right now, and there's still some some question marks. But we know Sean Doolittle is is projected to be the, the starting closer for the Washington Nationals. That much is certain. Everywhere else, you kind of have some different names. You got Kyle Bearclaw and Trevor Rosenthal, who are the two new names in the bullpen. You still got Matt Grace, Justin Miller, Sammy Solis, Jimmy Cordero, Coda Glover. Those are kind of the guys that we know are in there. And then you've got some other names like Kyle McGowan, Austin Adams. Those are guys that may get some playing time. But for the most part, Glover, Cordero, Solis, Rosenthal, Miller, Grace, Bearclaw, and Doolittle are the main guys to pay attention to in this bullpen. Now, Doolittle, let's start with him real quick and then we'll run through the other guys. But from the closer position, Mike, you you know, know, Doolittle uh, obviously had an injury-shortened season last year. um, But this is a guy that I, I, I'm pretty happy with as as the closer for the Washington Nationals. The Nats have had trouble over the years in getting a, a closer for, for that position um, to really kind of stay in that spot and be yeah. and own the, the closer position. I mean, at one point they had, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to remember all the names, but I remember the guy that used to untuck his, his jersey uh, when he would Rafael close Soriano. Yeah, Rafael Soriano, who had a what great, a loser. who was great one season and then really <laughs> bad the next season. And then they kind of bounced around with some other n- different names. Remember they had... Um, God, there's just too many. I can't even remember. They had Mel- Melanson was yeah, a closer Mark for a Melanson, bit. They brought him in from Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah they, they had him for a little bit. They had Papelbon. Uh, uh, Papelbon. God, what a nightmare that yeah. was. So you know, but they've just not been able to get a guy that's like a good clubhouse guy who has good potential and can close and own that spot. But Sean Doolittle supposedly is kind of the guy that can do that. I mean. Um, 2017 pitched really well. Uh, 2018, before he got hurt, I mean, he was pitching to a 1.60 ERA. Was able to, yeah. um, you know, 25 saves in only uh, one blowed save. Yeah, only tw- uh, yeah, 25 saves in 2018. Even with the injury, 24 in 2017. Um, and right now, he's projected to possibly get all the way up to 30 saves or more um, here this year if he can stay healthy with an under three ERA. Yeah. I mean, that's all you can ask for for out of close out of a closer. Um, if you're the Nats, is to have you know a strong ERA get some strikeouts. I like Doolittle. I mean, I think he's he's pretty strong. I would love him to be the closer for the future. Oh, you're also talking about Drew Storen. Drew Storen was sure. in there as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. sir. Yeah, that whole entire fiasco in 2012. Yeah. Um, thanks a lot. Uh, but <laughs> I remember, seriously, I had an anger issue at that uh, during that series. Because, <laughs> um, <laughs> just a side note, basically, during that series, I was down at college, and I had, uh, my buddy had a lacrosse stick uh, that was out, and when they, they gave up that 6 nothing lead, uh, I ended up beating Beating the hell out of the couch with the lacrosse stick. Yeah. Like, I, I must. I must have baseball batted that that that, 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 
that cushion, well, the, put it this way. That cushion, I had to flip it around because it had a little indent in it. I got gotcha. you. Gotcha. So anyways, <laughs> but anyways, going back to Sean Doolittle, definitely uh, one of the premier closers, I would say. I would agree. Uh, you know, only, only a couple pitch kind of guy. He's he's not going to flash or anything like that. Obviously, with the, with the sounds of the crowd yelling do every single time he comes out, he's a, he's a pretty good closer. I would say he's a closer that you, that's not going to, I guess you could say, waver in saying that you're going to have, oh, is Blake Trinan going to be the guy that's going to close? Is Drew Storm going to do it? Is, do it? Do we move Tyler Clipper there? It's like all those type of guys. You're not going to have that that situation where you have to go out and get somebody because Sean Doolittle is going to be there. So, as you mentioned, uh, Sean Doolittle, yes, one one six zero ERA last season. I, I guess, like I said, only one blown save. His whip's pretty good, and that's in 45 innings pitched. Uh, overall, like you said, an injury riddled season. But hopefully, this year he can stay healthy and and, and maybe get us upwards to 50 saves, which would be uh, pretty impressive, I would say, all in all. But overall, I'll, I'll take that all day because you think about it. Last year, yes, the injuries you know, made, made a difference, but the Nats, to me, it kind of felt like it was either they were losing close games or or they were getting blown out, or they were blowing somebody else out. Yeah. So really, he, even if he was healthy, he wouldn't be in there for a save no matter what anyways, because last year was kind of an up-and-down year. But hopefully this year, with uh, like like we mentioned before, which we will get to in the next couple weeks, um, with the station-to-station type type uh, atmosphere that we're going to have here with the offensive end, rather than trying to go for that three-run homer because Harper's down Philly, uh, really what you're looking at in this situation is I think it's going to be a lot more close games uh, because we're going to be going for average rather than home runs. So you're not going to have like I said, like a three-run homer, which changes the complexion of the game, or whatever it may be. I think I think there's gonna be a lot of games, mm-hmm. not a lot of Papa Johns, unfortunately, in my opinion. Yeah, um, because they have to score what seven runs. Um, so overall, I think in this situation, what they're gonna do, a lot of games are gonna be you know five-three, you know four-two stuff like that, where he's gonna be coming in there, and I'm hoping hoping that he'll uh, get a lot of saves and hopefully get upwards near fifty. Yeah, saves. which means the bullpen is gonna be crucial this season yeah. because I agree with you. There aren't a lot of big boppers as we've talked about. These are I don't think the Nats are gonna just blow away teams left and right with their offense. I think it's going to be it rely heavily on the bullpen. I'll run through some of these names just with a couple lines here and there. Okay. So Kyle Bearclaw, he's a guy that's usually a very heavy workload type guy. He's kind of been up and down. Not a great season last year, but a couple good seasons the year before that. Um, he's likely to pitch probably... Um, out of these guys in the bullpen, he will probably get the most uh, innings uh, between all of them. He's a heavy workload guy. Matt Grace, we know him pretty well because he's been around for a while for the Nats. Um, and he's a name where he's pitched pretty well at times. He's coming off of a really good 2018 campaign where he had a 2.87 ERA in 59 innings. Um, so Matt Grace is there. Justin Miller is one of those guys that isn't talked about as much. He had a pretty strong um, year for the Nats last year. 3.61 ERA. Actually went 7-1. and one, Not that the record matters for relievers, but Miller's expected to be pretty good. Trevor Rosenthal is one of those names where he is a few years removed from his really strong seasons. He was really good back in 2015 and 2014 and 2013. He had a big injury. He didn't play all of 2018, so the Nats kind of gambling on Rosenthal that hopefully he can get back some of that magic and pitch well. Yeah. And then Sammy Solis, Mike, I've wanted to see Sammy Solis be dropped by the Nats for years. Yes. He is somehow still on the Washington Nationals. My guess is if he still pitches over four ERA, you got to get this guy out of this out of this bullpen at some point. Um, and I, I believe they signed him to a one year deal, so I think he has one year left on his contract. And then other names, Jimmy Cordero, he's one of those guys that eh, he'll pitch every now and then as well. And then uh, Coda Glover, who's the guy that the Nats have talked about, is the possible closer of the future for the Washington Nationals. But the guy just can't stay healthy. Yeah. And I believe I sent you, you did. or you sent me, yeah, recently last week or so, Glover was pitching in a game, felt tight 
tightness. Who knows what that means? That's never a good sign. So he might not even be pitching for a while. We'll see. But overall, uh, I think this is a pretty good collection of arms. Yeah. I think we're going to kind of see the projections have them being pretty good, this bullpen. Um, but a lot there is still a lot of risks in there, Mike. Is Trevor Rosenthal going to be as good as he was a few years back? Is Kyle Bearclaw going to be able to handle this workload and give the Nats what they want? Is Matt Grace going to be able to repeat the success that he had last year? Justin Miller, a guy who had a really good 2018. There's still question marks. I'm not super c- comfortable. But... There is news that the Nats are looking at Craig Kimbrell. I heard that. And it's heating up, and the Nats are, quote-unquote, further along than people originally thought they might be with Craig Kimbrell. Now, you think if you bring that arm into this bullpen, suddenly things get interesting. Yeah. I, honestly, you, you just got you just kind of threw me a curveball there, you know, no, pun intended, uh, because of the sole fact that I wasn't thinking about that. Uh, but if you bring him in, Man, that, that's going to be something to look out for because it is. Th- think about it this way, okay? You bring him in, and then all of a sudden, Sean Doolittle, you know, it might ruffle some feathers with him, <coughs> but at the same time, you think, okay, if Kimbrell comes in there and, and, and is a closer or even is the eighth inning guy, mm-hmm. I mean, that back end of the bullpen, I mean, you just got to have basically somebody come in there and pitch possibly two innings, you know, because it, it, we're not going to have a lot of geo starts, I believe, this season where they go five, six innings, something like that. I think you're going to have Strasburg and Corbin and, uh, and and Scherzer go out there and pitch seven innings, possibly even just six. And that's one guy. And then if you get somehow get Kimbrel, then all of a sudden it comes to this situation where you're like, wow, okay, well, I guess this is the situation here that we have presented to ourselves where we got two guys that can close games for us and just basically go out there, get three outs, and get the hell out. <laughs> that would be incredible. But as far as those other guys, let's say the Nats don't get Kimbrel. Yeah. I'd say on a scale of one to ten, how comfortable are you with this? bullpen with 10 being very comfortable 10, 10 being like being like i can sit back yeah. <laughs> on a night that the nats are holding a two-run lead and we're in the sixth or seventh Fall inning and we're turning maybe. it over to the bullpen i can go to bed <laughs> and think that the nats are going to be able to hold that lead because in the past couple years it hasn't been the case i've definitely gone to bed mike with the nats having a two or three run lead yep. woken up the next morning Five see him two. lose by yeah <laughs> lose by a couple runs you know uh, throw the phone out the window pretty much yeah i i think in my situation right now as as it stands, I'll go with a six. Um, okay. And if 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 they get Kimbrel, I'll make it go all the way up to an eight and a half. Yeah. Because the okay. sole fact that, like I said, Kimbrel is that much of a difference maker. Where yes, he's getting up there in age now, but he still has that 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 talent that will go out there and make it happen at night in and night out. So honestly, right now, six out of ten. Yeah. And then eight and a half, they signed Kimbrel. I'm with you. I, I think this is the one part of the Washington Nationals that I am not super happy with. I think uh, I'd love if Rizzo made some moves before we head into the season and get somebody else involved here. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, I, I think because I, I think they made some great spots everywhere else, but the bullpen, I'm not super comfortable with. I'm probably with you. I'm, I'm probably around a six. Yeah. And then, like you said, if Kimbrel, probably around an eight. That's the one thing that's always been the knock on, mm-hmm. the, on the Nats pitching staff is that they have these premier starters but the problem is, is that once they are gassed, once they hit their pitch limit pretty much, that's why they always kept having Scherzer go out there and pitch 120 pitches because they're always like, I don't want to give it to Sammy Solis. <laughs> you know? And that's the thing is, I think Sammy Solis, by the way, his saving grace is that he's a lefty. I mean, yeah, that's, that, 
that's if the he, only reason. If he was a righty, he'd be at Walmart. Oh, 100%. Right now. 100%. Like, seriously. So it's just, you look at it that way. I think if they, if they can actually solidify this bullpen, which I think they've made enough moves to solidify it a, a decent amount, mm-hmm. much better than last year, I think that's the biggest uh, you know you know knock on the whole entire Rizzo regime is the bullpen. Because ever since they got rid of Clipper to the A's and uh, Drew Storen went to go try to close and all that kind of stuff, it really ended up it kind of falling apart ever since then. So overall, in my opinion, like you said, we're both around six. Kimbrell comes eight and a half for me because it solidifies it just that much more. So with the Nats talk here, we've gone over starters. We've gone over bullpen and closer. Last position we're going to talk about here since we're doing Big pitchers change. and catchers is this the that position of the catcher that is, you just said, Mike, big change for the Washington Nationals. Two new additions at the catching position. Uh, we still obviously have Pedro Severino, who's still around. Um, again, one of those kind of young friend. guys that right. they're, yeah, <laughs> one of those young guys that they just don't, it has not really, you know, impressed enough to earn that starting catching position so much that the Nats have had to go make some other moves. But thank God, thank God, Matt Wieters is not a Washington National anymore. I'll tell you that. The funniest thing ever was I was at Nats Winterfest, yep. and they, they had these um, bags that you could pay like 80 bucks for, and in the it was like a surprise, like a grab bag type deal. So you pay 80 bucks. You don't know what's going to be in the bag, but you Got do it. know. Actually, it might have been more like in the hundreds where you do know you were going to be able to get a jersey, a signed jersey, uh, a signed ball and then some other gear one guy I saw bought the bag went over to this table opens it up it was a Matt Weider signed jersey Washington Nats jersey the guy was pissed he was like what the hell Matt Weider's jersey it's not even on the team anymore (laughs) that that jersey has value of five dollars probably in Baltimore not even in DC that's the worst Um, so the Nats make the moves to sign Jan Gomes and to bring back Kurt Suzuki. Let's start with Gomes, who's the projected starting catcher for the Washington Let's Nationals. Now, they have talked about possibly giving Suzuki plenty of time as well. But for the most part, you got to think Jan Gomes is going to be the starting catcher. Last year, Jan Gomes, 400 at-bats, 112 games played, uh, hit 16 bombs, scored 52 runs, 48 RBI, uh, 266 batting average with a 313 on base percentage um, struck out 119 times which you don't really love that yeah. but for the most part uh, Jan Gomes the past couple years has been putting up these types of numbers hitting kind of in the mid two twos um, not really getting much higher than than, than 260 or so um, besides last year getting 266 but I I think the key here Mike is Jan Gomes is better than Matt Wieters. Uh, and that's honestly all I care about. Do I expect a lot and do the projections expect a lot? No. Projections mostly have him at hitting around, you know, 12 or 13 bombs, hitting around 240, uh, you know, hopefully getting close to about a, a 300 on base percentage. We'll see. But is he better than Matt Wieters? Yes, he is. <laughs> 100%. That's the thing is you look at Jan Gomes is going to be our starter. I mean, obviously, Kurt Suzuki, uh, I'm a big fan favorite of Kurt Suzuki. But looking at Jan Gomes compared to Matt Wieters of last year's stats, literally uh, pretty much 170 more at bats, which is a more durable factor, which is a big deal. Obviously, uh, the runs isn't, isn't a real big factor because he's going to be at the bottom of the order anyways. And, you know, mainly Jan Gomes is going to be the eighth guy in the batting lineup. So sure. it's really not going to be, you know, he might come in there and, you know, 16 bombs from a number eight guy in your batting order, I'll take that. Yeah. And really, yeah, that's why his stats aren't, like, you know, bloated like crazy uh, because he's not really the the highest. I mean, even though you heard it in our intro, yes, he, he, he can hit bombs. and Yes, he can you know, walk off and different stuff like that. He has the potential of that, but that's only going to happen 15, 20% of the time. So don't, yeah. don't get used to it. So really, when you're looking at this whole entire uh, stat cast against Matt Wieters, 
huge improvement. I mean, when you look at the batting average from last year, it's a pretty much a 30-point improvement, which is huge. That's, that's what you want. Obviously, he's not going to have the walks that Matt Wieters had because Matt Wieters, he, he, Matt Wieters, even the knock on him is that he, he's not that durable and stuff like that, has a pretty good batter's eye. I mean, he had 30, 30 walks, and that's nine more than Jan Gomes had, but that means Jan Gomes just wants to you know swing more, obviously. So, really, that's what you're looking at is the strikeouts as well uh, with the swinging factor I just mentioned. Yeah. Like you mentioned, he is a free not, swinger. Not great, but at the same time, think about it this way. You have Max Scherzer, you have Steven Strasburg, you have Patrick Corbin, whatever it may be, uh, at, the, at the bottom of the lineup. If you give two outs, whatever. As long as you turn the lineup over, that's all that matters. And if you can get him on base, uh, it, it's, it's a big deal. So I think it's definitely going to be a big deal for the uh, the offensive stats. If you look at Kurt Suzuki as well, move on to him a little bit. Yeah. Last year, 347 at-bats, again, Good. I mean, if you get over three, pretty much 350 and above, durable. It's pretty damn durable. If you can get your catcher to play in over 100 games, that's a durable catcher. Yeah, and then you look at his batting average, 271. Yep. I mean, 50 RBIs, 12 home runs, 94 hits. I mean, his his on-base percentage was over 30%, so he's getting on base, you know, over three times pretty much all, all the time with, with, with all of his stats. But the thing is about Kurt Suzuki is that I think he's honestly better defensively than he is offensively, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is one of the best framers in the game. I Honestly, when they got rid of Kurt Suzuki, I was pissed because they kept Wilson Ramos a couple years ago. In my opinion, Wilson Ramos, he's good and all, but he tears a hamstring every single time he runs the first base. Let's put it that way. So really, when you're looking at Kurt Suzuki, yes, he's been with a lot of teams, been with the A's, been with the Twins, been with the Braves, all this kind of crap, but literally, he has that prowess to to make sure that even if he's a backup catcher, I think they're going to have him start with Strasburg, honestly, yeah. because if you remember when Strasburg came out uh, after his first in his first year, they had uh, Pudge Rodriguez mm-hmm. being the guy to be his catcher every single time. And that was the biggest deal, in my opinion, is if they get an experienced guy that's behind the plate, knows how to call games, this and that, whatever it may be, you can have uh, the confidence in your pitcher go skyrocket. And that's the thing, is that whenever Pudge was the catcher for Steven Strasburg in that first year and, and, and another year after that, I believe, uh, basically he was you know on point every single time. But then when Pudge wasn't catching for him, it, it kind of fell apart a little bit. But overall, Kurt Suzuki, Jan Gomes for me, huge improvement over Matt Wieters, like you yes. said. Pedro Severino, yeah, he was supposed to be, you know, uh, possibly a, a, a big-time player uh, coming up as a young buck. And then Spencer Keyboom, obviously mm-hmm. the worst. Can't forget the, about him. The, yeah. the worst Keyboom out of the two, um, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. Um, but overall, Jan Gomes, Kurt Suzuki, when they signed these two guys, I think those two over Corbin and Sanchez were basically my guys that, that were, and Bearclaw and Rosenthal and all those guys. Those two were the two key additions, in my opinion. Yeah. Because the Weeders factor, Severino, whoever was playing catcher at that time, almost an automatic out. When you go out there and, you, and, and you're like a Matt Weeders and you, you, you hit 230 or whatever whatever it is, that's not helping your it ball club on the offensive end. So if you can get you – get, I mean, look at the averages between Suzuki and uh, and what's-his-face, uh, Jan Gomes. Jan Gomes, If yeah. you can average their, their two averages out, it's basically mm-hmm. like 270. Yeah, I mean, which you'll take. A 270 at From the nine spot, I'll take that all day. So overall, yeah. I don't know how you're, you're feeling about that, but in my opinion, I think Kurt Suzuki is a better catcher than Jan Gomes a little bit, uh, but obviously, you know, they're, they're very close in my opinion. Yeah, and I think the key – is uh, just to, uh, to wrap up on that is I think the key is that uh, Davey Martinez has said that it is a shared catcher's role. So exactly. it is not necessarily just because we're saying Jan Gomes might be the opening day starter. That doesn't necessarily mean he is going to be the starting catcher. Yeah. They've talked about this. They want to have it a shared catcher role, like a platoon of the catcher position. So it isn't going to be a, you know, Jan Gomes catches, you know, four days in a row and then uh, Kurt Suzuki gives him a day off. I think it's what it's starting to be like is like, you know, Gomes will catch a couple games. Suzuki will catch a couple games. And then 
I think you play it out by feel if you're the manager there. Who's kind of the hot bat at the moment and who's handling the pitchers well and all that. But I think between those two guys, like you said, if they can kind of split their averages there, uh, they're looking at a great... <laughs> That's solid production. I mean, I mean, seriously, you look at the strikeout numbers for Kurt Suzuki over Jan Gomes. He has 55 less at bats than Gomes, but he has literally o- over over 70 less strikeouts. So yeah. really, when you're looking at it there, if you have a guy that's in the back half of the, the order that's going to put it in play or, or do whatever uh, he needs to do to possibly get on base or at least move a runner over or whatever it may be to turn that lineup over, I'll take that all day. But like you said, I mean, both these guys, it's a platoon situation. Like you said, if this guy's hot or if this guy gets gets hurt or whatever it may be you have basically two number one catchers on your team now which you never had in the past because you know when 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 Wilson Ramos gets hurt or Matt Wieters gets hurt you always bring in a Joe Schmo pretty much that comes in there and doesn't give you any production whatsoever which really t- takes it out of the whole entire situation at, at the back half of that that lineup but overall like I said Biggest move, in my opinion, we're getting these two guys on our team. Yeah, so that will kind of round out the discussion about the starting pitchers, the rotation, uh, or starting pitching rotation, the bullpen, the closer, and the catcher position there. Uh, And again, we will be getting into the other position battles as we near closer and closer to spring training. But before we wrap up the baseball segment, we won't spend a ton of time on this, but we do want to get a couple thoughts because of the fact that this is huge news for Washington, D.C. fans, um, is the fact that Bryce Harper was signed by the Washington Phillies, a 13-year, $330 million. Philadelphia Phillies. Sorry, yeah. Philadelphia Phillies. Don't don't pull a Bryce Harper. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I did see that. It was hilarious. Um, so Harper is gone. The Harper era is over. Yeah. Um, for fans of the video game MLB The Show, you get to see Bryce Harper on the cover that of looks, that. That's a stupid cover. Is, too. It, uh, looks, yeah. it looks pretty terrible. It, it is a bad cover. <laughs> I hope they uh, – and I'm a, I, I've been buying those games for over a decade. So yeah. – um, but yeah, as far as kind of our, you know, a lot of a lot has been said over about Bryce Harper over the last couple of days, obviously. Um, but I wanted to get some of our opinions out there real quick in the fact that, you know, again, the Bryce Harper era is over um, for DC, and it's not like he's gone off to San Francisco where we'll see him a certain amount of times a year, or he's gone over to, um, you know, a different division or things like that. We will see Bryce Harper uh, play against the Nationals, you know, 15, 20 times a season now for the next decade uh, uh, seemingly because the interesting things to note about this contract are two things one that there were no opt-outs so Bryce Harper um, does not have any opportunities within the span of these 13 years to opt out of the contract Um, and two there's also a no trade clause so not only can Bryce not opt out but the Phillies cannot trade him without Bryce Harper approving the trade so the only way that Bryce Harper will not be a Philadelphia Philly at any point within this 13 years is if he approves a trade to another team. Yeah. So these two guys are married to each other now at this point. Um, but yeah, Mike, he is a Philly. We're going to see him. I actually scooped up tickets immediately uh, for the first game. April 2nd. Uh, yeah, April 2nd game. I, I bought them as soon as basically the uh, the announcement was made. So I'm going to be able to go downtown and check out and see what the reaction will be like. Um, I think it's going to be mixed. I think there's going to be booze. I think there's going to be cheers. It's going to be mixed. But for I, I'd like to hear kind of your personal opinion on what you felt <laughs> when you found out that Bryce Harper was going to be a Philly. Honestly, if you want to go to dccrossover.com, you can read my article. Yes, yes, there. actually. Yep, I did read that. Um, and uh, and you, t- you texted me pretty something pretty funny, I thought. And you were like, you went pretty in on that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, you did. Yeah, well, it took me two hours to write it. So I um, had to dig deep and find some clips and stuff like that to, to uh, really bring it all out together. But really, like you said, when I, when I thought about this whole entire move, I looked at it and I was like, 
why? That's my biggest question is why? Now, everyone is going to say, oh, he picked the, the he picked the Phillies over the Nats, all this kind of stuff. At the time that the offer was on the table, mm-hmm. Bryce didn't know what the market was going to be. So he said no. And that's the thing. The whole yep. entire contract the Nats offered, as as it states in the for the Phillies offer, the Phillies offered basically 13 years, 330 million, which is around 26 million or so. Mm-hmm. No opt outs, which the Nats didn't have either. The full no trade, I don't know if the Nats had that or not, yeah, but, the, not sure. but the Nats had deferred money, which basically is payments over time. Yeah, and he was uh, going to get paid all the way up till when he was 60 years old. Yeah, exactly. But they, they, they he didn't want that, and then the, which is which is smart because at that time you never you never know what the market's going to be and all that kind of stuff. But still. The Phillies offered him less money than the Nats were going to pay him per year, and he wanted this record, and that's all this all this Joe Schmo crap that everyone say. Oh, he wanted the record, he wanted this, he wanted that, all this, kind of, whatever. The Dodgers, and I mentioned this to you, I think, yeah. in a text or something. I don't know if I was if it was texting you or I, I thought it in my head. I don't know. The Dodgers offered him three years, $135 million, which is $45 million per year. Or, or a second offer for four years, 168 million, which is about 42 million per year, which would have, would have had the AAV value, the average, uh, whatever is average annual value or whatever it's mm-hmm. called. Uh, he would have had the record for that, and he would have been a free agent after three years. And Mike Trout, he could have joined Mike Trout. He could have said, "Hey, Mike Trout, hey, if you go sign somewhere in the next two years or whatever, I'll come and join you. Let's just rework our contracts and, and be in talk with each other, so we have some room to pick up other people." And that's why he thought, "Oh, the Phillies, you know, I'm not taking that much money." That's what he said in his press conference, so he can bring other players in, which I thought was garbage. And, and all, and I mean, you're there for 13 years in Philadelphia. I hate Philadelphia. Yeah. They're, they're the worst fans on earth. Again, go to my article and look at some of the, the YouTube clips that I got on there and check that out. It's it's embarrassing. They I still remember the Flyers and the Caps game where they threw the dead owner's freaking wristband that they had a tribute to him. They threw the wristbands on the ice because they were pissed. Like, who does that? What kind of idiot does that? Oh, I got this free wristband from an owner that's given me a lot of good memories and stuff like that. Screw him. I'm throwing it on the ice because I'm pissed off at the Flyers. Like, what kind of moron does that? Philly. Philly yeah. does that. And I'm yeah. so pissed at Philly because Philly just sucks. I don't care about Jake Arrieta or, or Aaron Nola, who I forgot which pitcher was in his in his <laughs> undies or something like that on a video for Bryce Harper. And then Bryce Harper is trying to recruit Le'Veon Bell to come to the freaking Eagles, trying to screw over DC again. It's like what it's like I just get so worked up. I told you, I'm getting more worked up every single day for some reason. Like, I'm not taking it personally, but I'm, I'm getting pissed because of the sole fact that he went to a rival mm-hmm. instead of choosing. Okay, I understand why he didn't want to go to the Giants. They suck, and they have a lot of aging veterans. You don't want to go there. The Dodgers, though, that's closer to your house. You would have got the AAV record. You would have had an opt or pr- pretty much, you would have been, if you got the three years, you would have got the $45 million per year, which would have set up your family for life no matter what. Mm-hmm. And you would have had the opportunity to become a free agent at 29. When was Albert Pujols signed? Albert Pujols, wasn't he like 30 or 31 when he got signed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was 30 or 31 when he got signed mm-hmm. to the Angels. Yep. You're 29 years old. Te- technically, you're pretty much on par with Albert Pujols because you can do a lot more in the field than he can, and you're still a big bopper, so why not do that at 29? Sign a big contract then with Mike Trout or whoever. It doesn't matter. You can go somewhere else and do stay on the West Coast, do whatever the hell you want. Don't come to the to the rival just because you know they're pressuring you into getting something. And then Scott Boris, I think he thinks Bryce Harper is a retard. Because of the so fact, I, 
I don't want to say that. I, I, I apologize for saying yeah, yeah. that. No, no, no. Yeah, you understand. Sure. Like, he, 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 Bryce Harper is a moron, to, yeah. I think, to Boris. Boris yeah. is like, dude, you have no trade calls. You have no opt-outs. You have all, like, what idiot would do that? And I'm not trying to call Bryce Harper an idiot. But in this situation, you're, you're hated now in D.C. Now, yeah. I, 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 still, I still love Bryce Harper and all that kind of stuff for, the, for what he gave us and all that kind of stuff. I mean, think back to the, the Giants uh, series back in 2014, all that kind of stuff, the three bombs and all that kind of stuff, McCovey Cove. McCovey Cove, baby. Um, <laughs> so, really, this is the biggest thing, in my opinion. He went, and I wrote in my article, he went from Washington, D.C. sports, Mount Rushmore, to literally Thanos in the Avengers. Yeah. Like, everyone hates you. Everyone hates you. You have no friends. You're, I mean, literally, the only people that are going to like you are Philly for the first week until you strike out three times in a game, just like New York did to Stanton. He had a struggling year for a first couple months, and everyone was booing him. You think he likes getting booed? No. Bryce Harper, everyone loved you in D.C. Everyone loved watching your highlights. You bat-flipping and wearing a headband during the, the home run derby and all this other crap and then all of a sudden you go to philly and now everyone's gonna hate you because you turn you chose philly over la you chose philly over san francisco so california the whole state of california hates you and then all of a sudden you turn down dc and that's a rival just wait until april 2nd happy birthday mom by the way it's ha- her birthday <laughs> april 2nd literally i, I want to buy tickets and take her to the ball game so, so we can sit in the nosebleeds and just take in the whole entire atmosphere mm-hmm. of Bryce Boos. Because there's a, the Boo Birds, it's going to feel like a Philly game. And yeah. legit, because if Philly's there, it's going to feel like you're at the Eagles versus Cowboys back in the, I don't know, 80s, something like that, whenever they sucked. I don't know. I don't know the Eagles history, but yeah. still, it's, it's going to be embarrassing, it's, dude. It's, I mean, that's the thing. I guess if there was a team that Bryce is going to be the villain on, it's a Phil, it's the Phillies. I mean, yeah. like that's if he wants that and, and wants to embrace the fact that like he is going to be hated, then I guess Philly is the place to do it. I mean, I'm sure those fans were ruthless to him the past five years. Anytime he went and played in Philly, yeah. I'm sure he just hurt because they're, you know, uh, yeah, like you said, like they're they're not exactly the high class fans of of the Major League Baseball. So now. I think the biggest thing to me is now we've got ourselves some drama in the division because that's one thing that the Nats have been missing over yeah. the years is they, you they said that to me. They have the type of guys that are kind of that are, are, are usually high character guys. They don't really. I mean, in the past they had some knuckleheads like Niger Morgan fighting in the Marlins and things like that. But for that the guy, most the part, that guy. And then there were certain years where the Braves and the Nats kind of had a rivalry because the Braves um, had kind of these old school baseball guys and they didn't like Bryce Harper. So they'd throw at him every time that they would play, <laughs> uh, which was just so ridiculous. But now we got ourselves a three-team rivalry here in the division because now the, the Phillies and the Nationals are now automatic rivals here um, because of this move. Because now you have the guy that started in D.C. playing for an interdivision team. That's a rivalry. Then you have the Braves. This is kind of this you know, brash, up-and-coming, young uh, group of talent that, you know, they, they're kind of trash talkers as themselves, and they won the division last year, and they think they can do it again this year. Um, and the Nats are kind of saying, hey, slow your roll, Atlanta. Like, we're still, you know, the, the, the perennial kings of this division. So now you have a three-team race yep. uh, for the NL East, and then teams like the Mets and the Marlins trying to just spoil games every now and then. But I think for me, the biggest thing is now, now I think there's some juice behind these series games. Now I feel like... Nats Phillies are going to be must-watch series now. Nats Braves must-watch series. I think these are now going to be big games every single time these teams play each other um, just because there's a little more behind it. And so as a baseball fan, I like that. But yeah, for me, I, you know, I, I wasn't 
really pleading for Bryce Harper to come back to the Nats, but I would have liked for him to have, you know, the the class to uh, not go inside the division and yeah. sign for 13 years, so we have to see him every single well, that's, year. that's the biggest thing as well, is that everyone's, like I said, everyone's going to say, oh, he chose the Phillies. He didn't, because the Nats offer was gone. The Nats offer was off the table yeah. when those offers started coming in, because they said, hey, we got to build our roster. That's why you saw all the moves. It's, it's not like, you know, oh, yeah, we're just going to sign him because we can, you know, all Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're not going to do that. They wanted to build a roster, and that's why they, they're going to keep Anthony Rendon now. Trey Turner, they're going to re-sign him. Yep. They're going to re-sign all these guys because they're going to have the money to allocate to those assets now. It, it may work out for the Nats more in the long run because of this, but at the same yeah. time, it's just tough. It's tough to see a guy yeah, who's yeah. grown through your system, debuted in your system, had so much hype behind his name. But let's remember, as much as you know, as it stinks, Bryce Harper really has only had one really, really good season. Yeah. In the Major League Baseball, if you look at it objectively and look at the stats, he is getting a 13-year year deal based on potential and one MVP-type season. Yeah. You know, well, that's what you hear on the radio all the time. Is yeah. everyone saying like, because people say, "Oh, he's overrated," all this kind of stuff. He's not overrated. He has the potential, like you said. That's why you're signing him for 13 years yep. because you expect him to be able to repeat that type of production. And, and, and his in his, yeah. his press conference, he also said that one of the main reasons was he wanted to dig his roots in, set a legacy, and possibly quote unquote have another guy who's going to be a free agent in the next couple of years join him. And, and he's yeah. referencing Trout. But it's like, yes, the Phillies are good, but to get Trout, then they're going to have to sign him for another big deal because yeah. he's better than you. He's betting a lot on an organization that really hasn't been that good since the mid 2000s yeah. uh, when they made the World Series. But they haven't really been that great since then. And he's betting on a team that has a second-year manager. Not that the Nats don't, but Gabe Kapler, uh, overrated manager. Um, so yeah. we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I'm sure we'll get into it as, as news starts to For break sure. more and more next But week April 2nd, well. circle your calendar. That is the first time. That's a, it's the second series of the Nats season. They start with the Mets, and then they play the Phillies for a two-game set. Um, but the first one being on a Tuesday night, a 7.05 start, and then they play Wednesday at 1.05 the next now, day. Now, are they going to have Scherzer pitch opening day? So th- and then, that's a big question mark. We don't know. So it's, it, it's, it, it, a lot of it depends on... Because they got the break. Exactly. Yeah, they have thir- Thursday yes, to Tuesday. So. Exactly. So, well, they play uh, they play Thursday, then they have Friday off, yeah. then they play Saturday, Sunday, then they have Monday off, and then they play Tuesday, Wednesday. So the question will be... That'll be a fifth day. I mean, I would love, if I'm there, I'd love to see Max versus Bryce or Patrick Corbin possibly versus Bryce or something like that. Um the more likely, I mean, I, all I know is I don't want to see Animal Sanchez <laughs> out there facing Bryce Harper for his return yeah. and Bryce Harper going long off of, of him or Eric Fetty yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Give me Max versus Bryce. They're going to be Jeremy Hellickson against Bryce yeah, Harper exactly. in, in, Give in me the first inning. Max versus Bryce, top of the first. Max buzzes one behind Bryce and says, "Hey, buddy, you left us. Yeah. We're gonna be, you're gonna be seeing stuff like this for the next 13 years." Yeah. So I mean, I, there could be some high drama there, but I think it's gonna be half booze, half cheers. Well, because they're um, gonna show a tribute video. There's going to be. There has to be. The problem is, is that when they show that video, are people gonna be booing? Are they gonna? I think everyone's gonna cheer, but at the same time, you're gonna look at the situation and say. He, he went to a rival, and that's the biggest factor in the situation. And really, yeah. overall, I mean, 13 years. I looked at I looked at it earlier. I mean, are, you're going to be Bartolo Colon when your when your your deal runs out. You know, you're going to be like 80 years old. So that's that's the biggest thing. I'm surprised that the Phils actually did 13 years because I mean that's a long, long time to commit to one person. But I mean, overall, 
like I said, we'll get into more of this possibly mm-hmm. next week or whatever. I'm gonna try. I'm trying to reach out to some Philly people uh, up there in Philly to uh, some some news outlets and stuff like that to see if they can have somebody come on and see what the reaction is up there. Because I even texted to you that a pizzeria uh, in Philadelphia was oh, going to yeah. give pizza for life to Bryce Harper if he signed back with the Nationals because apparently they don't want him up there either. So <laughs> who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what his situation is with uh, you know oh. Philly Nation, you know, let, let, let's do this thing. Like, I mean, you really want to win a – I mean, I don't know. It, you, your, your wife loved it here, or wife or girlfriend, whatever yeah, she wife. is. Yeah, wife. Uh, you know, she loved it here. You're the nation's capital. You went out and played softball with some random dudes on the mall, all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to go to Philadelphia. What are you going to run, like, Rocky on the steps? I, I don't I – don't, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. So, you know, go ring the Liberty Bell. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really care. I mean, overall, I loved the guy when he was here. Now he's a villain to me. But yep. – I'm, like I said, I'm not taking it personally. I got the Harper jersey. I don't think I'm going to burn it, but I'm definitely not wearing it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you should, you should try to sell it see how much you can get for yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. You're and, right. Yeah, bleach it a little bit. It's a white jersey, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, is, yeah. Bleach yeah. a little bit. Maybe get a little yeah, extra white. Yeah, there's some sweat stains on there. Uh, uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll don't, see. Don't, don't put that in the, uh, the bio. So um. we'll definitely get into the rest of the position battles over for the sure. next couple weeks. Keep an eye on spring training. Again, don't care much about the results, yeah. um, but just That's that everybody stays it. healthy for sure. And then next thing you know, it's going to be, I mean, the 28th. 28th. We're here within the month now. We are 25 days away from Major League Baseball Nats season starting. I cannot freaking wait. No doubt about it. Again, just like Ben said, Stay tuned. Next week, we're going to be doing the infield positions, which is going to be fun because you got, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Rendon. I was going to say something else, uh, <laughs> a nickname that I heard somebody give him, but uh, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I'll, say, I'll tell you off air. Uh, <laughs> but then you got, you know, Trey Turner, and then ho- hopefully we can possibly talk about Carter Keeboom, possibly getting some time up here as well. And then the guy that everyone just loves for some reason, Ryan Zimmerman and his noodle arm. Uh, so basically, we'll be talking about the infield next week, but definitely stay tuned. DC crossover. Our entire episodes are going to be all over Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Google Play Music. So check out those. But again, three weeks left, pretty much, until opening day on March 28th. For Ben Simpson, I am Mike Cerrone, saying so long for the special edition of the Nats Spring Training Pitchers and Catchers. (laughs) 